Welcome to episode eight of the Inspired Energy Podcast with Murray Guest. In this episode, I'm chatting to Brandon Miller, the CEO of 34 Strong, a consultancy firm focused on employee engagement and strengths-based development. Brandon is one of the very first Gallup certified strengths coaches in the world, and he's a professional speaker communicating with CEOs on leading with strengths. Brandon believes that developing strengths takes three main ingredients, self-awareness, personal commitment to excellence, and strong community partners. He coaches people to let go of their personal judgment of self to reflect on their moments of genius sprinkled throughout their life and to invest time in the areas that make them feel the strongest. He believes it is his calling to help organizations sustain a strengths-based culture. And I love catching up with Brandon in this uh, chat just to hear how he does that with his team through 34 Strong to really create strong strengths-based cultures and what he calls best places to work. We also explored some of the strategies and tips that Brandon and his wife, Annalyn, cover in their new book, which is coming out in June this year, Play to Their Strengths, A New Approach to Parenting Your Kids as God Made Them. I've already had a look at this book and a read through it, and it is so good. It is so needed um, for so many parents, no matter how old your children are, um, whether you're a parent, grandparent, or carer. And so that book's available in June this year, so look out for that. Um, and we talk a bit about that, as I said, today. So sit back and enjoy tips from Brandon Miller, CEO of 34 Strong, in Episode 8 of the Inspired Energy Podcast. And good morning, Brandon. Good evening to you. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing really well. I've had a great week. Friday morning here in Australia. Thursday night for you, I assume? Thursday morning, 11 a.m. actually. Oh, nice to hear. And how's the week been for you? It's been eventful and uh, exciting and uh, full of uh, some excellent uh, surprises. Uh, fantastic. I'm looking forward to chatting you on the podcast today. And when you say eventful, you've got me, got me thinking, wondering about uh, what has been eventful and you can share with uh, our listeners today, but also the excitement. Um, but before we jump into that, uh, I just want to again say, following in from the introduction, how excited I am to catch up with you today. We've known each other for, oh, it must be four years now, going on nearly four years since we first met at the First Clifton Strength Summit in Omaha. That's and, right. Yeah, and, um, and have seen you at each one since. Threatened to come over to America and, and meet up in between those. Haven't done that yet. Um, but I'm sure I will at some stage. Or us to you. Oh, even better. Either one, yes. Yeah, or somewhere halfway, maybe Hawaii. Oh, we just did that. I would be willing to go back. That would be great. Hawaii is a great um, state, isn't it? It is. It is. Just rated the uh, number one for well-being in the States seven times now. How, how do you think they achieved that? Uh, you know, having been over there for the first time uh, for 10 days, I think what they call the island pace uh, certainly plays into just the speed of life and how serious they take matters. Uh, you can feel it there in their approach to life. Yeah, that, that's because I've been to Bali a number of times and to Fiji twice. And um, they talk about Fiji time or Bali time. Mm -hmm. You say you sit down at a cafe and you, you might order a cup of coffee or some food and you go, it, it'll come eventually. I know it's, it's going to turn up, but it's in Fiji time. And, um, or you ask for a, a towel if you're somewhere or if you're, you know, working with the locals, it's, there's a slower pace, isn't there? Very much. Um, so being there for 10 days, have you and the family taken any of those elements back with you in your day-to-day -day life? We're trying, you know, with uh, a large family and business, it, it is not, uh, doesn't come as natural to us, I find. And so uh, definitely doing some pausing and reflecting uh, has occurred, uh, but it's in its infancy. We'll see how well we do at sustaining it. Yeah, um, when you've got a uh, number of children, um, how many, you've got 28, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, last I counted. <laughs> <laughs> seven, seven who are our kids, natural, yep. three who are married in, 
and we've added a grandson with a second one coming in the summer. Oh, fantastic. That is great news. Um, and as I was about to say, with those, um, those children, with that size family, and I'm sure different competing priorities and deadlines and things to do, um, that's a challenge, isn't it, with then having the slow pace around all that? Very much, very much. I was challenged while in Hawaii to think about the time I give to accumulating data. Uh, it's so easy for us these days to pick up our mobile devices and tap into the world and learn and see and understand and communicate, but was challenged to consider thinking differently about that time and more communing time, meditation, prayer, focus. And it was a good challenge. That challenge has stuck with me as a way to think about how to pace life a little different. Yeah, it's uh, what I pick up from that. It's about how do you create some different habits to the ones that you currently have or that we all currently have, which um, we've slipped into those habits. And I've heard the phrase that habits are like big comfy beds. They're easy mm. to get into and hard to get out of. I would agree. Yeah, and what, I, what I'm hearing from that is the habit of the mobile device, the looking at data, accumulating of data. I love how you put that. And what's a different habit that serves you in a more constructive way for you and your family? That's right. Mm. So as the CEO of 34 Strong, you work with lots of different organizations and helping them develop their culture and the best places to work. Do you bring this mindset, do you think, or, or some of these elements into that work as well? We do. Uh, becoming a best place to work in our perspective means we, we listen to our people and in the fast pace of an organization trying to meet the demands of their constituents, whomever that might be, we at times uh, forget to pause, reflect, to consider what we've done, where we've been. And so it is, it is something that, that I am even further contemplating of, of just how work-life balance is understood, but even work balance itself can be understood. Mm, mm. What about the pace within an organization and how they um, feel they don't have time to slow down to actually talk about things? Mm -hmm. And even, um, oh, we'll invest in our people, but it's a bit of a tick in the box sometimes, isn't it? It is very much and understanding that, that though the cliche goes, people are the greatest asset to an organization in practice that that theory does not carry itself out. It's often outcomes trump who the people are. Outcomes are what's most important and whatever the measurables are until the people measurables start to create some pain points. Retention would be one of those issues, certainly productivity, certainly seeing that dip in overall, even attendance ratings. And so with those in mind, uh, there are times where organizations are forced to pause and reevaluate the people development side of their strategy for growth as a company. So as 34 Strong works with organizations to create that best place to work, um, what would be some of the key things that you aim to achieve for those organizations so they are working towards being a best place to work? We start with leaders and we understand that leaders are the, the directors and the visionaries of a culture. Uh, but there are often times we find that leaders aren't clear on culture or they've, they've adopted so many different markers of what equals their values, that it's difficult for people to be assimilated or, or, to become part of that tribe, if you will. So we start with them clearly understanding what are the values that are most important in this organization. And we try to get them to, to, to narrow it down to three or four, that everyone in the organization can not only memorize, but then model, and then have a way to measure that modeling to see if, if that's actually occurring. Uh, so we use examples from successful uh, companies that have done well uh, with coming up with very clear culture uh, phrases and or sentences and giving that opportunity. And then of course the training to them on how they might model um, their behavior uh, in, in setting the standard with the organization. 
So in starting with leadership, we, we really do our best to help them to understand that the middle level, the middle managers, those who are responsible for, for the human management side. So there's process management and people management. So the people management side really make or break the, the implementation of those values and how that makes for culture. We like to say that when it comes to culture, majority rules. And so whatever is being passed down from leader to manager, manager out to the, the population of the individual contributors, that's what becomes your culture. And uh, organizations we have found where they have a gap is in that transmission from leaders to managers. And so we spend a lot of our time with the middle managers, really helping to address their, their strategy for how they will develop their people, how they will motivate, engage them, inspire them to really carry forward those values and provide tools that they might uh, find effective to help them uh, engage and, and develop uh, their, uh, their people. And what's a typical um, partnership look like uh, for 34 Strong with one of your clients? Typically, we start with an engagement with leaders, uh, some form of a half day or full day retreat uh, and, and or work uh, day uh, in office, depending on the rhythm of their of, and season of their business. And from that, uh, we provide a pretty good overview of a three phase process. So the process uh, begins with the leaders and managers, as I mentioned, it moves into evaluating and engaging the employees using different surveys, different tools to help uh, facilitate conversations around development. Um, we also uh, look to engage internal key stakeholders that will be uh, key to carrying forward the initiative. And then our third phase is really where we, uh, we, we take this out to every member of the organization while we're developing the internal team to sustain it. And so those those three phases, depending on the size of the company, can, can be done as quickly as a year. Uh, mm -hmm. we've, we've had organizations start at that. We've had some that were into our fourth year in, in engaging. So it, it, the starting point matters and, and what we learn at the beginning of how, how strong they are currently. And then we can begin to assess with them a, a good strategy for how we, we can take this and really truly implement it for a sustaining, sustainable initiative over time. Yeah, great. Um, who's one of your clients that you've been working with that uh, is okay to share that you're really proud of um, that partnership and what has evolved and developed over that time? Recently, this is one of the exciting reports that I mentioned at the start. Uh, one of our clients just did their third year of measuring their employee engagement. This is a healthcare organization found in the state of Oregon and they are somewhere north of 200 employees and um, they've they've implemented a program where uh, they have made employee engagement and strengths-based development part of what they refer to as their wildly important goals or WIGs for short. I love that a lot. I haven't heard that before. I love that. Uh, it's actually found in a book uh, through the uh, Covey organization called Four Disciplines of Execution. And this ah, idea of, of the WIG is that really a, a, an organization can only tackle one or two wildly important goals at a time. That, that the day-to-day -day work um, can, can uh, it's described as a whirlwind. Um, there are goals and measures that need to be there. But if you're going to do something extracurricular, extra advanced, you can't, you know, organizations don't suffer for a lack of great ideas and great goals. They suffer from too many. Mm. And so what we marvel with Cascade and their leadership is they took employee engagement very serious. Their goal is to be recognized as a best workplace, uh, which they have achieved within their state. And uh, their result that came back, they increased 10 points year over year organization wide. Uh, brought them right up near 60% organizational engagement, which is nearly double the national average. And uh, so we were, we were just excited with them for achieving that mark. Uh, the, this occurred, what makes it, in, in our opinion, something that is quite spectacular is that it, it occurred in the year with a CEO transition. So mm -hmm. the CEO who brought us in um, was moving toward retirement has been grooming the successor 
uh, he took the reins and they increased, not decreased, which is always uh, a very good sign of organizational health when that transition goes exceptionally well and we see um, advancing instead of uh, decline in those seasons. Yeah, that's uh, you're right. When the CEO changes, that has a flow-on effect, a ripple um, in organization, um, and that uncertainty can sometimes impact people at all levels. What what was key or, or uh, really critical to help that um, result um, during this time, do you think? They developed a track uh, that we, we did a system with where each month they spent time looking at the 12 uh, indicators that, that have been recognized through the Gallup organization as indicators for employee engagement. And so January, they focused on expectations, February material equipment, March, and so on. So they picked an engagement indicator per month and they met with either their teams as a group within their departments or one-to-one, depending on the conversation, the, the approach of the manager size of the team. Uh, but they kept that track working throughout the entire year. And so instead of a survey being done once and then seeing results and we don't talk about it again, they kept the conversation going and what it helped um, that we notice is there are strong managers, very talented folks, that uh, when you uh, uh, supply them with training and tools, they become super managers, amazing bosses. But more often, people are promoted into management roles uh, because of their technical expertise, because they have, have a good tenure or track record, but they may not have the, the core talents or certainly lacking the training and tools to be good. And so with those, uh, leaders, when they're given uh, tools and training, um, you could take a manager that's marginal and you can help them move closer to good. Mm. And we watched that occur not only with the scores that are the, the qualitative, excuse me, the quantitative, but we hear it in the qualitative. We hear it in the stories that come out and we, we, we try to get very good with them at retelling the stories. Here's what we heard that's successful in this department. Here's what this group is doing that's working. And those, those stories become part of their ritual, part of their process in, in supporting their own initiative of positive reinforcement of the messaging around what we're doing that's working well. That, that allows employees to, to become very proud of where they work. And so when a trusted CEO, as in this case, transitions, she's established the incoming as a trusted person. And the senior team um, first needed to buy in, which they did. Uh, not without some work, but they did. And then subsequently, the management team and individual contributors have, have uh, engaged with the new CEO. Yeah, uh, what I'm hearing there is that the culture was stronger than just the one leader, the CEO, or uh, a number of leaders. The culture had developed and had that strength based on not just the data, but even more importantly, the stories that connected people's hearts and and. I think the bit that stood out to me too also, how important it is to share those stories across different teams and departments so people are hearing that and that is slowly developing the culture. That's right. Um, that, is, that is a great um, example of a partnership and, and the other bit, of course, as you said, when we do an employee survey, um, whatever it is, whether we're measuring engagement or culture, it's not, again, a tick in the box. There's a plan and that organization has stuck to it. They didn't just say, oh, well, we'll talk about it in the first month or two. We're going to talk about each one of those 12 questions, one a month for the whole year. That's right. Yeah. So 34 strong, 34 themes of strength. You're one of the first Gallup certified strengths coaches in the world. Mm -hmm. Why strengths for you? My first experience with strengths was in a management role. and. I would have said at the time I was, I was decent. I, I tried to do a good job and be a good boss. But when I was introduced to Strengths Finder through the book, Now Discover Your Strengths, I found that it really allowed me to be a, a, a really good leader, a good boss, helped me to understand myself, helped me to understand the team members I worked with, how to engage them in a way that they required or needed from me instead of asking them to adapt to who I was. And repositioning folks, in some cases, different roles within the organization. And in one particular case, someone that realized they were in the wrong job. And instead of that feeling 
like a, a finite conversation with a, with a bitter end. It was a respectful conversation with a positive outcome and gave dignity to the transition, gave some time to make that move in a way that allowed that person to find their new role and, and exit gracefully. And it, it was uh, very well received across the team. And so with that experience uh, and then bringing this concept home at the time I was a father of uh, four children, four going on five actually, and um, started to see the impact with my own family and the impact uh, on how I raised my kids and somewhere in that season decided, you know, this could, this could be a quite a viable business opportunity. So engaged with Gallup, as you mentioned, in uh, early 2013 and a month after training with them decided uh, that, that there seemed to be enough initiative and movement and, and motivation in this uh, movement around Strengths Finder as a tool uh, that we built a brand uh, to go along with it. So we tell our clients we help them become 34 strong, which simply means that we're going to help them become strong in every one of the strengths. They all matter. Every person matters. What they bring and what they contribute is vital, and we help them to, to grow into that. So that's the, that's the, the, the journey my business partner, Darren, and I have uh, traveled up to this point. Yeah, great. And uh, you and Darren, um, how did you guys meet originally? I actually, the, the month that I had uh, visited Gallup and decided that I wanted to shift the brand of the consulting firm I had at the time to become a, a strengths-based consultancy, I was in a mastermind group with several other CEOs. And one of the gentlemen in the room mentioned that he had a, a good friend uh, that he met in business school who was making a transition that, that had recently learned a strengths finder would uh, potentially be interested in uh, hearing about the business opportunity. The introduction was made. Turns out Darren and I at the time happened to live about a uh, half mile from each other. <laughs> <laughs> and so we found our way uh, to a coffee shop somewhere in between. And just it, it's one of those uh, instant connections uh, where you can tell that you, you've met someone that uh, really might be uh, a, a really great partner, really great compliment. So we, we began the courting season, if you will, and uh, began to really look at uh, what this could become, and, and both a uh, few months in decided we were going to engage, and so I believe it was June of 13 that we incorporated 34 Strong. Yeah, fantastic. So uh, for people that um, hear this and they think, I would love to um, have a partnership with someone in business and have the success that 34 Strong has had, uh, what do you think has been so important for you and Darren? to make sure that you could um, have that success? I think when we go back to understanding what culture is, which is really the values of leadership, if value alignment is not in place, then it will be very difficult to sustain any partnership. We could think of our own marriages as an example. Mm. If values aren't in alignment, then practices follow values. And practices are where we, where we, where we find misalignment quite easily. And so I think for Darren and I, we had enough alignment, especially with one concept that we, we, we didn't know how to phrase this then. We've had some help with, through some different authors, but um, we like to say that we play the infinity game. And what we mean by that is, is that the conversation always keeps going. We avoid the, the finite way of thinking, the you always or you never do this, which is rarely true of anyone in any circumstance. Mm -hmm. and, and acknowledging that even with disagreement, the conversation keeps going and we afford respect and afford trust uh, because we're committed to the game. We're committed to keep it going regardless of when we're in full alignment or when we're in heated disagreement, which certainly happened to this day, uh, but, but have learned to respect and appreciate each other's uh, strengths and I would say respect each other's different uh, uh, areas where we thrive are, are different uh, parts of the business that we both do well in and give each other ample space to thrive and, and, and drive those areas respectively. I love that, that term, the infinity game and that commitment to each other as business partners and how um, just anchoring that relationship through that um, agreement and how powerful that is that the conversation doesn't end. I love that. And I imagine that you bring that back home as well. Absolutely. I think that's, 
for all of us who are raising teenagers. <laughs> if you if you don't if you don't play the game, your teenager certainly won't. Your teenager will have all kinds of uh, short uh, short thought through or or uh, narrow minded approaches to things. Partly because it's their own biology in play. They're uh, what uh, my colleague Dr. Lee Waters actually there in Melbourne, um, what she calls brain shedding when they become you know, into their adolescent and their minds are starting to form their own independence, they naturally want to rebel and establish their independence. And parents mistake that for, you know, some affront to my authority or my opportunity. Instead of realizing this child's going through an internal revolution. And if I can appreciate and respect it and play the long game, play the infinity game, then, I, then I'm less caught up in um, the momentary frustrations, which are inevitable that it's not possible not to experience them on some level with our, our teen kids. Um, but as they, as they mature and watch us try to play that and stay in that space with them, uh, it, it allows for some really healthy and helpful conversations with them. Uh, I, you and I could talk about this a, a lot. I know cause we're both very passionate about um, strengths-based parenting. And I want to talk about um, your book that's coming out with your amazing wife, um, Anlin. Uh, and I've been through the teenage years with my daughter and uh, my son's currently there at the moment. And my wife sometimes refers to it as the caveman stage. <laughs> That's probably accurate. <laughs> in, in, into his cave, he comes out sometimes for a couple of grunts. Um, and he's a wonderful boy, but you know, you, the ups and downs. And I know what's important is we put ourselves in their shoes and I've joked many times about how low my empathy is in my 34 themes. Um, but what I can do is, is say not so much about from an empathetic point of view, but from my responsibility, how can I serve you? And also what is going on with him and his strengths right now? Yeah. Um, but we want to come to that. But first off your top five maximizer, achiever, activator, strategic arranger. Mm hmm. If you had to have one of those tattooed on your neck, you know, you're going to get one of those. That's, that's your strength. People can see that wherever you work, wherever you walk, you down the street, which one is it going to be and why? So I could tell you the one I'd like it to be. And then I'll <laughs> tell you the one that it will be. <laughs> so I'd, I'd love for strategic to be the one that people know me by, but that will never happen because they will always and forever know me as an activator. And I've, I've had to come to terms with the reality. I think I've taken the StrengthsFinder assessment four times. It's either number one, two, or three every time. It's, uh, it's what uh, one uh, doctor referred to as uh, the core strength that mm. you find with a person. These are the ones that are baked right into the cake. Um, they're inescapable. They're, they're, you, you can't escape them. Um, they're so much a part of who you are that you could not unbe that person and you're your best to play to it and get the most from it. Uh, so activator is, is a strength that I've embraced and learned to, to grow with. It's very polar. It's, it can be exceptional in its ability to cause great good. Also can be exceptional in its ability to cause challenges and have that. I've, uh, as I've aged and learned over the 15 years of knowing that I'm an activator to, to grow and mature it uh, as best I can. So um, how has your activator best served you in um, your life, whether that's in business or in uh, your family? There's an element of being an activator where I'm very comfortable learning by doing and I'm very comfortable with failure. I don't enjoy failure any more than the next person, but I'm comfortable with it in so much as I learn from it quickly and I can bounce back. I can, I'm quite resilient in that regard. And so because I learn by doing, I, I can appear to have a higher risk tolerance than most mm -hmm. and step into situations that others might require more deliberation or analytical, you know, in analyzing um, nature or more academic research where I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable to say, well, let's, let's have a go. Let's have a go. Let's see what happens. And, and, and is that a bit of your activator maximizer feeding off each other? For sure, for sure. And I'd add, because self-assurance is in my top 10, I think, I think there's a confidence there yep. that I, I will bounce back. Um, this won't be the end of my day. You know, I, I, there's, there's a, the sun's coming up tomorrow. 
And so that activator allows not only to be catalytic to self, but to catalyze others. And so as a, as a consultant, I have found the activator serves very well to motivate movement, um, not only from a sales standpoint, but equally from a movement within organizational change and initiatives. And it uh, doesn't help, it uh, doesn't hurt to have the same ability within a family yeah, to motivate people to move them. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Come on, let's go. We're in Hawaii, but we're going to get out. We're going to go for a walk. But dad, I just want to sit down and do nothing on the holiday. Right. <laughs> um, has, it, has it ever got you into trouble in some way? The oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Almost as many times as it's helped me, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Activators can be quite sharp-tongued. And uh, the, because we're willing to do things, uh, without it all the way baked, we're also willing to say things without the the words fully thought through. So early on, that was quite challenging of uh, learning how to to uh, try to catch my words before they escaped my mouth, uh, and and that's been a lifelong journey of understanding that part of who I am and how to how to manage that, uh, and certainly you know taking some risk that didn't pay off and paying some consequences. We. Uh, we call it in business, Darren and I call it uh, paying our tuition. <laughs> so there's things that we've, uh, we've done that we, we chalk that up to tuition. That, that's going to go down in that category because it didn't return. We, we had to, we, we, the return was we learned, but we didn't come back with the positive business outcome we hoped for. As a partnership with Darren, um, both leading 34 Strong, have you leveraged or do you make your strengths very well known to each other? and? And, and help, um, I guess, work off those for your success? Very much, very much. Both, both in the best expression of our strengths and the parts of them that uh, do still require maturing and refining. And so we operate from uh, a, a phrase a colleague, uh, Deanna Murphy, uh, coined off of, I think, Brene Brown's work, which is confident vulnerability. And so we, we believe, and it's one of our values, that we practice being strong in our strengths and being vulnerable where we're not. So mm -hmm. we both very much uh, encourage and counsel each other that way. Darren's a number one achiever and number two learner with responsibility there and relator. And he, so he has really, really common strengths in the world. Those are some of the top four in the world. Uh, and he also, he and I share a ranger. So Darren with being such a high executor can find himself over committing. He can, you know, um, sometimes, go too far in commitments and you know there's times to gently hey maybe maybe you don't need to do all of that maybe you might want to pull back maybe you want to uh you know think about you know what what you're what you're doing and and to the level you're you're, you're making that happen and it's been great you know his receptivity to that um and he to mine you know times where he can remind me that everything needs to be now that everything needs to be today and so we've developed an excellent partnership just in our ability to to not only engage when we're in strategic talks and, and looking at our culture, looking at our clients, thinking about prospects, where we're taking the business next, high level, you know, get up into the clouds, come back down to the ground. But even just times where one of us needs to sound off. Um, he's probably the best backstop I've ever met. He's just really good at, all right, if you gotta, if you gotta, if you gotta sound off because there's something challenging you, come bring that here and then we'll talk it through because he knows I, I, I need a verbal process for him. I got to give him time to go, go in his lab, if you will, and do his thinking and then come back with his answer. So some of that's been really helpful to learn how to refine and develop each other's strengths. Yeah, I, I, um, I can see how that works. And I've, I've met Darren as well, and I can see um, some of those strengths coming through as well as you talk. But uh, even more importantly, it links back to what you're talking about earlier about the conversation doesn't end, um, about mm -hmm. that keeping that ongoing all the time. That's right. So I want to ask quickly, so one of the benefits I have with the work that I do here is I get to experience and explore parts of my country I don't normally get to because of um, um, just where I live. And so with working with different clients over the places, I get to explore my own country, which I have been reflecting on more of and how appreciative I am of that. Um, where's 34 Strong taken you that um, you probably wouldn't have gone if you didn't have this um, awesome business? 
what a great question. So I have a map uh, in my office that I, I purchased uh, at the end of the year. And it's one of those maps that you can scratch off places mm -hmm. you've been. And uh, I, I, I purchased it because I wanted to see how many states in the U.S. I had visited. And uh, part of uh, my hobby is in addition to visiting states, I also uh, enjoy visiting Major League Baseball ballparks. And so if I can arrange a training to be somewhere around a ball game, uh, I, you can bet that I'm working hard <laughs> to try to it can encourage them to be near those dates. And so uh, I've probably uh, now visited 30 of the 50 states, I believe, um, and 15 of the 30 major league ballparks. Uh, and the most recent, which we talked about at the start of the episode, uh, was Hawaii. So I was actually there on workation as uh, one colleague uh, framed it. Yeah. Uh, so yep. for, for some uh, business, decided to bring the family and, and was fortunate enough to visit two islands. And that was fabulous. Uh, so different between Oahu and Kauai. Yes. Uh, yes. Oahu, which, which uh, for us looks like San Francisco. <laughs> it's, it's very much like being in, in a major metro. Of the 1.4 million people who live in the state, about a million live in Oahu. And then to go over to Kauai, where there's no buildings taller than a palm tree, and 80% of the island is, is not accessible by vehicle because it's all mountainous, green, beautiful place. It was such a, such a pleasure to be able to uh, have both experiences. Yeah, fantastic. Um, 30 out of 50 is a, a good um, progress so far. Is there one that you really want to visit you haven't been to yet? Probably... Without offending any states that are listening today, yeah, probably <laughs> Maine. I, Maine, as in the the far, yes, far yes. Uh, northeast, uh, because I think there's some beauty up there. It would represent the furthest north that I've been on the east coast. So, and just to say, I touched the top, perhaps. <laughs> oh, there's yeah. and and um, there was a show we were watching recently on Netflix, and some of those properties in Maine, and you, just to cruise in a boat. Um, in some of those areas or explore the natural wonder up there and some of those properties, they're just amazing. Those houses. Very much. Yeah. Very um, much. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I, uh, I love the idea of scratching it off as you go and, and linking it to one of your other passions around baseball. And mm -hmm. I'm going to talk to you about that at a later date. Cause I haven't been to one yet. So uh, I need to get to a game. Well, we, sh we, we, we should make that happen. It's yeah. quite an experience. So, um, Let's talk about play to their strengths and your approach to parenting your kids as God made them. And I think this is such an awesome, amazing, well needed, very needed um, strategy. I know that when I first discovered my strengths back in 2012, it really connected with me, like you were saying, not just as a person, but as a parent as well. And it's something which, uh, my wife and I think about in the way that we do it. But what I loved about your book is that it was just taking it to a deeper level and also a real tangible, practical way as well to help people have a strengths-based approach in their home. Mm. Um, tell me about how the evolution of the book came about and what you actually hope people get from the book. Mm -hmm. In, in the talks that I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be invited to give uh, to many different groups of CEOs, uh, and it's a repeated message. It's called Leading with Strengths. And as part of the talk, I, I refer um, to strengths-based development as certainly a professional tool and takeaway, but I also encourage the business leaders to think of this as a personal takeaway. And I always reference my family as part of the journey. And, and my kids and stories about them are mixed in, different anecdotes about them. And, and so we just began to see, as, as for many of these business leaders, the number one takeaway they had was to bring strengths home. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of them might hire us and bring us back to work with their organizations, but many more of them really took to the idea of having their children, having their spouse, having their, uh, if they're a grandparent, grandkids, take the assessment. And so this, this, sparked a conversation between my wife and I to start to consider maybe, maybe there's a book here. Maybe there's something in our journey of implementing strengths with our seven children, which, you know, it, for many folks is, is a very large number. 
and they think, wow, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's quite a load. And the fact that our family is unique in that we had three kids very young. So our first child was born when we were 18 and 17, three kids by the time we were 22. And then we have about an eight year gap and then we have four more. And so it's very much like raising two families. And we, we just, you know, thought, because we have a really interesting way to describe this because we have the first round and all the things we learned by things we did wrong and areas that we needed to correct and shift when we learned about this approach. And then we have the very much in progress shrinks journey now with our 9, 11, 15, and 16-year-old or 14, 15-year-old. Mm -hmm. And so, so um, in January of 17, uh, my wife and I had thought, you know, we have not yet worked together on a project like this. We, pro we partner in parenting, we partner in life, we partner in home improvement projects, but we've never project, uh, partnered on something that, that could be leveraged in some kind of business, you know, outcome or, or uh, endeavor. And so we, uh, we gave it a go. We brought in a uh, ghostwriter to help us put our thoughts down, and we just went to work. And I think we had about three chapters written. And I had another business talk. And at the business talk, there happened to be the CEO of a publishing house, a, a what they might consider mid-size, but for most, I mean, they're, they're doing, I think, in the neighborhood of 150 to 200 books a year, which is good size. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, that CEO, uh, after hearing the talk, um, asked me over lunch if I was working on any personal projects and intellectual property. He said, oh, as a matter of fact, my wife and I just started a book. So he slid me his card and said, I want you to send it to me send me the manuscript. I'm very interested. Came to find out later that that particular uh, publishing company, you cannot get a book into their hands without an invitation mm. or an agent or you have to know someone. So that, that was uh, uh, quite a blessing to have that door open and sent them the work that we had up to this point that we met. They asked for three more chapters, which we had uh, already begun to produce after they saw six of them, negotiated a deal. And so at the start of 18, uh, we began the the launch of the project, and uh, the book will now come uh, come live June fourth of this year is the release date. That is um, that is so awesome that you had that um, that moment and you took that opportunity. You know that's your activator coming out, isn't it? And and here it is. Here's what we're doing and as you said, hard to get into that publishing house and you took action and, and it's uh, led to this book being published. Really, uh, I would say that those, those steps seem to align for us, but yes, we did take action. Uh, my wife happens to be a top five activator as well. And so, uh, <laughs> so we, uh, we, we can get ourselves into all kinds of interesting places. Um, this is one of the times where we both felt like, let's use our force for good, even if we self-publish. Uh, we think we have a great story, and thankfully, the uh, the publishers felt like uh, we had a real, uh, as you described, a, a very practical, down to earth. You know, this is this is experiential. These anecdotes are real life. We have quotes from our kids. They had to, agree, you know, we have adult kids. You know, we have our oldest is twenty five. She had to be able to read the book and go, yeah, that's what you did. Yeah. Yep, both the the good and the bad. That's what you did, and. Uh, so we, we were very proud of that, that our, our adult kids could look back and go, yeah, absolutely. This is, you guys definitely made a shift 10 years ago and we are better all for it. Mm, fantastic. So what's your hope? Um, you're an Anlin's hope for this book. Uh, we, we hope to restore joy to parenting. Uh, what we know and we, we write about in the book is that when we all start out with our precious babes, um, they can almost do no wrong. We're, we're so enamored with them. So just, in awe of the, the wonder of life. But the, but the shine fades because our, our little babes turn into, into uh, tantruming toddlers <laughs> and mm -hmm. into school kids who start to lie to us, <laughs> into you know, uh, grade school kids who start to get into mischief and find ways to not tell you when their science project is due until it's a week before the science project is due, right? So they provide us with all kinds of reasons to frustrate us. And we hope to point parents in the direction of instead of seeing their, you know, the things that frustrate you, learn to become fascinated with your kids. Learn to, to stay in that place of wonder and discovery and excitement around wonder who you're going to become and start to, to, to learn those strengths, develop them and recognize the awesome 
opportunity you have to be a primary influence in this person's life and to use that force for good. I, in my strengths workshops, um, love to just take that time to really unpack and explore the, that key quote from Don Clifton around, you know, what will happen when we think about what is right with people rather than fixating on what is wrong with them. Mm -hmm. And not just from our, you know, we were just talking about our Clifton strengths, but really unpacking and exploring that quote of his. And if we really fixate on what's wrong with them from a parenting point of view, mm -hmm. the impact of that isn't just in that moment. There's a, a lifelong impact on the way those children feel about themselves and the way they interact with the world around them. That's right. And what I love that this book will do is help people actually just really tap into what is right with their children, what is wonderful with them and, and help them um, be their best selves. That's right. Mm. That is. Um, so when the book comes out on the 4th of June, um, that is so exciting. And you also got some other sort of projects around the book as well, haven't you? We do. So one of the exciting things we found out yesterday is that the book will have an audible edition. And so my wife and I have been, uh, uh, that, that's a, that's not a given when you publish apparently. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we will have a recorded version and we'll be, uh, very soon, uh, getting to put that in place. And, and, and is, that, is that your voice? It, we have the first opportunity. So they essentially said we have first right of refusal to do that. And uh, in, interestingly enough, last night we did a, a Facebook live session where we put it out to our viewers and asked, so should we do it? What do you guys think? Should we have someone else? Overwhelmingly uh, came back. We needed to do it ourselves. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that authenticness, that realness um, with the stories in the book. And as you said, what worked, what didn't, what did we learn? Just coming from the, the, the couple that have lived it. I think is so important. So that's, I say, yes, you guys should do it. Okay. Well then you've, you've added to the unanimous plus one <laughs> <laughs> and, and we found out, well, so, so when you launch a book, one of the, the things they tell you is, you know, when you're relatively obscure and, and I wouldn't even drop relative, we are obscure compared to what most authors start. Um, and apparently now people are able to start pre-ordering the book on Amazon. And I didn't realize how important that was because it, it starts to give your book placement. So they don't, you don't pay for it till it comes out on the fourth. So we've, we've just started the campaign around encouraging folks to go on and pre-order. Um, it doesn't have a cover. Uh, the cover is almost done, um, but you can find the book under play to their strengths, Brandon Miller, Annalyn Miller. And uh, so that, that's been helpful. Just the journey Murray of learning. Oh, you need to know this. Oh, you need to know that. Yeah. So that that's been the exciting part of this, this project. Um, so I was involved in the, uh, the book with um, Bronda Knight Boyle, a fantastic coach, and that we released that. And my wife's written a book and a few of our friends, and they often talk about it um, when it's your own book, that it is a, like uh, birthing a child. It's like there's a long period, and then it's like, ah, this thing's happened, and there's a lot of maybe a bit of pain in the process, but then when it happens, there's some joy at the end as well. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, so this is the Inspired Energy podcast, and uh, I ask everyone on the podcast, what is their definition of inspired energy, and what is yours? Passion and purpose. I feel like if, if a person functions from a place of passion headed toward a, a destination, a purpose in life, in, in a relationship, in a business, um, that's, that's that inspired energy that leads to awesome outcomes. Thank you so much for your time today. I've loved uh, our conversation, um, getting to know 34 Strong more deeply and what um, your approach is to really help make organizations best places to work. I've loved um, your um, ownership and depth of, um, I guess, reflection on Activator as one of your top five strengths, but plus also your link to the other ones. Um, also, just that journey of how you and Darren have um, created such a strong partnership of that confident vulnerability. And, of course, what it's been like to raise um, 
your beautiful uh, seven children and also uh, being a grandfather, which I'm so excited about for me one day, not just yet, but yes, mm -hmm. one day. Um, mm -hmm. But also, and then hearing again about the book, which I think is going to be such a valuable resources for parents, no matter what age their children are or, or grandchildren or carers. Um, it's it's mm -hmm. certainly suitable for everybody. Um, so thank you so much, my friend, for sharing all of that and the conversation today. I'm sure people got a lot out of it, a lot of insights into strategies for themselves personally and also for their business. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's um, been awesome. And also just, um, I know for people that want to connect with you and know more, you just gave us the address for the book, which I'll make sure is in the podcast notes. But also, where else is the best place to connect with you online? 34strong.com will we'll give them access or on LinkedIn. Uh, any of those places are great uh, er, uh, opportunities to contact. Fantastic. Uh, thank you again uh, so much. So 34strong.com and also anlinbrandon.com is also out there for um, the book, but I know there's links on the uh, website. So. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much. Have a uh, inspiring day. Look forward to seeing you in Omaha again uh, at the uh, summit and also everything else we'll be doing there, which will be exciting. Very much. And um, again, thank you so much for all of your um, inspiration today. It's been a great way for me to start my day and um, uh, look forward to chatting soon. Thank you. You too. Thanks everyone for listening. If anyone would like to be on the Inspired Energy podcast, just go to inspiremybusiness.com where you can send me a message and let me know. If you got something out of today's podcast and you want to share that online, please go to Twitter or to Instagram and just hashtag Inspired Energy, but also tag me at Murray Guest. Thanks everyone and have an inspiring day.